Let's spread a song so you can sing along with one special guest or two. Or two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today are two returning guests who I'm so excited to have back on. It's David Goss and Leah Photos, otherwise known as Goss and Photos, everyone. Woo! 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 Thanks for having us back on, John. Last time was so, so fun, and we are so happy that we get to be here again to talk another movie musical. Yeah, we love, love being recurring guests. This is great. And this one is is interesting because i i i've seen the stage version and i have a lot of thoughts about positive thoughts about it uh and we're here today so it's matilda we're here to talk about but i think technically on netflix and on imdb i found it as roel Dahl's matilda the musical so, you know what? He's always trying. He's always trying to stick his name on stuff. Roll Bell. Like you. I'm sure they're making it very clear that it's based on the book and not the non-musical film for what? rights purposes and all that. Yeah, so they're yeah. like very, very clear. This is Roll Dolls, Dolls. <laughs> but I bet yeah. his estate is a lot like Dr. Seuss's, where like whoever's in charge of it is very protective of it. Dr. Seuss is how the Grinch stole Christmas and blah blah blah. All that. Yeah, I yeah, can yeah. see that. Uh, Roll so the- Dolls. Timothy Chalamet's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> no, don't say that. They've already remade it, and I don't want it again. <laughs> like yeah. they made they made it with Johnny Depp, and that wasn't good. So let's not let's it's not revisit like, that. Well, they just did. Did you not know that yet? Well, they yeah, they did. They did the pre- this is the prequel, though. Not oh, this, you're right. This is the, the prequel. prequel. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Oh, it's like right. Wonka or whatever. It is. Yeah, yeah it's just, you're right. With, uh, uh, but with Hugh Grant playing an Oompa Loompa. Before he becomes Gene Wilder rather than Johnny Depp, sure, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fingers crossed, everyone. Uh, so We're All Dolls, Matilda the Musical, came out in 2022. Uh, screenplays by Dennis Kelly. Music and lyrics by Tim Minchin. Directed by Matthew Warkus. Let's go with that. I'm going with it. And according to IMDb, an adaptation of the Tony and Olivier award-winning musical, Matilda tells the story of an extraordinary girl who, armed with a sharp mind and a vivid imagination, dares to take a stand to change her story with miraculous results. Now, I've seen, as I said, I've seen the stage version. Did you guys see it when it was playing? No. No, never had the chance. I know, and and I I had heard of it and whatnot, but now after seeing the movie, I really want to see it on stage at some point. Yeah, because I had been big fan of tim mentions like musical comedy stuff for like years and years and so when i saw that he was doing this musical i was like i gotta see it and then never made it to new york to get to see it yeah i mean it was here for a while <laughs> so and we weren't <laughs> oh how oh fine fair fair uh yeah. so the movie does cut out some stuff from the show as well oh, as really? from other iterations like the 90s movie and the book so like matilda is supposed to have a brother but in this movie she doesn't have one wait it's from the book or from the because i know in the 96 movie she didn't have a brother right she did have a brother in the 96 movie she did yeah i've seen it like a thousand times i didn't remember that she has an older brother yeah maybe she does oh well anyway uh okay so that in the book she does too I think in the book, it's been a minute since I've read the book, and I was. What about the musical? Like on stage when you saw in the it, musical, there is there is a brother. There's a, there mm-hmm. also like the parents have more. I mean, obviously it's a stage show, so you have to do a little bit more and fill some time and everything. Um, there's a whole like subplot about the mom uh, is having an affair with her dance instructor or something, dance partner. Yes. Well, because we, because there's always like, at least in the 96 movie, there's always like cutbacks to Danny DeVito at work, like at the, at the car yes. sales. So yes, that there also is like a whole backstory of Rio Perlman. Well, well, that, that actually is, is in this movie, the 2022 one, but he just talks about it. We don't see it correct. happening. Yeah. 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 Cause it was a lot. Yeah. I, I was it's been a minute since I watched this movie as rewatched this movie so I was like does she actually change his hair does she glue the hat because I was reading about the book and that's in the book and 
in the stage version, obviously they do like a wig or something. And yeah. and the Danny DeVito one, how can we forget? <laughs> it's <laughs> standard. I, oh, well, I, I'm surprised they didn't catch the brother thing. I don't know why, because I that was the movie that I had watched. I watched it about like a thousand times as a kid. It was the only VHS that my grandparents had. And uh, it was that. Uh, they had two VHSs. They had Matilda and they had Grease. And, <laughs> and, and after watching Matilda, about, after watching Matilda about a thousand times, I switched to watching Grease at three or four years old. And that's when I got hooked on musical theater. And the rest is history. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. I feel like our generation, like our gateway musical was the Grease movie. I think so. I agree. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, like, no, totally. Formative years watching Grease on like a portable DVD player back when those were a thing. Oh, yeah. It was oh. way before that. Yeah, totally. Now that's, but like, no, because you have the VHS, yes. But then once you're like actually old enough to watch it, according to your parents, quote unquote, that's the era, at least for us, of the portable DVD player. Yeah. Okay. But I would, I watched it before I was old enough. I know. To watch and, it. And, yeah. and, and, and the rest <laughs> is history, as we said. Yeah. It explains a lot about you. Yep. So also in the show, I think you guys know this, Trunchbull is usually played by a man. Oh, yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, they were originally going to cast uh, 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 Voldemort to play. Ray Fiennes. Yeah. yeah. Whoa, really? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. would have been interesting. I know. Oh, wow. I didn't know that about But I, I loved Emma Thompson in this role. Yeah, I Emma Thompson. So, great. you know, Emma Tom- everything. I was, I was also reading like the trivia that she was so nice to the kids on set that the director was like, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> they have to be afraid of you please stop that being so nice and giving them hugs and things like that that is so funny yeah i would cast her in anything to do anything pretty much yeah so if you all haven't seen the stage version why did you want to do the movie version because i because you know what i and we were joking about this the other day i watched it on my own uh, a while ago and then i watched it with my fiance and it was fantastic and I was, it's just, I don't know, the, the music is so fantastic. And it's one of those that's on my list of shows that I wish I would have seen live. Um, and I can just talk about it all day. It's, it's similar to our last episode with you when we did Annie. Now, here's the joke. We, for some reason, have chosen two musicals about a little girl who gets adopted. And I don't know what that says about us and, like, what pulls at our heartstrings. But that, for some reason, we're on round two. Maybe your next musical, you should have a child that's a protagonist maybe that's what you're saying maybe you're laying the maybe subconsciously you're laying the groundwork because really this this episode really happened because of your concert for uh your newest show san which i'm gonna Mm -hmm. plug it right now because hi this is my podcast so um it was great it was great everyone you guys are doing it again in new orleans soon right Yes. Yeah, we have a, a big concert coming up February 1st. We're, we're opening Mardi Gras, which is fun. Oh. Yeah, it's going to be an experience to kick off like all of the parades and that whole shebang leading into this really, really interesting museum exhibit that is happening on the life of the man that we're writing this musical about down there. So it's a, it's a world's colliding type of thing where even we might learn more about him because of this exhibit. So that we're really excited about that. Yeah. So did Tim Minchin's music like kind of inspire you while you were writing this or? Not at all, but we're fans. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like some of his stuff lives in my head rent free. Like uh, like, this is my brain and I live in it. Like all of that (laughs) stuff is up there. The The one song out of this that I thought secured him the Tony win and it didn't. And I'm still very upset about it is school song. That song oh, for is, sure. is genius. Like, is that the one with the letters? Yeah, right? it's a, it has to be the spelling. Yes, one. yeah. It's the- I, I cried. I cried the first time, and and I and I cried the first time that I heard that because our job is that David and I sit there and fight about lyrics like for hours, trying to figure out the right thing and the right this and the right that. That must have taken so much time to just actually sit and figure that out. Yeah, and the fact that in the chorus they're doing the alphabet and they punch like at first you don't understand because it you it sounds like nonsense in a way but then later in the song when they punch the yeah. letters that they're doing you're like holy shit this is oh yeah and to play with to play with assonance and to play with 
the the accent that they have and how those letters are pronounced within the words and it's it's yeah it was such a game I, off the top of my head i can't remember what they did for the letter r but it, it had no business being the letter r <laughs> yeah there were, there were a few like that but uh yeah i, I cried the first time that i would that i listened to that because i was like that is not that it's a song as a tearjerker but i cried because the craft was just so spot on and see i cried we when i was rewatching this during when i grow up mm. oh yeah that too that oh, one yeah. if you i know you haven't seen the musical but if you could they i think that's the song that they performed at the tonys or at least a part of it where they use swings on stage and like there's just some joyousness about it that it's children singing about the loss of childhood <laughs> that you're like yeah. what is happening yeah wait so swings on stage like like Hades town lamps like they're all kind of just like swinging and doing their thing like that giant kind of? they're giant swings and they're like running and jumping and swinging out it is so you just watch it just watch the video when you get a chance yeah okay i love th- i love this kind of homework yeah, I, I will I do, do that homework gladly. I do too. I, I'm not that the show is going to be revived anytime soon, but I want to see like a regional production or something. I don't know. I have to I have to catch it at some point live. But I love it. it. This is great. Well, um, what's really fascinating is like in this movie they do pay homage to it, but without being like uh, like other movies. I find when they're paying homage and doing like the Easter eggs for the fans, they're a little like slapping you in the face with it but this one it's a little more subtle so like mm. in naughty when she's on the roof she does like the matilda pose with her hands on her yeah. hips and everything um school song in the stage version the, when they are it's so funny when they uh when they actually get to that verse where they're punching the letters they actually push out blocks with that letter on it in the in a Ooh. fence so the gate portion of that is in the movie is I think pay oh, homage. Yeah, the the gate choreo is really cool. Oh yeah, when they're doing all the different the different things. Now, the, I know nobody can see me right now, but I'm doing it right now. <laughs> the gate choreo, like it's a new fear that unlocked in me is watching children do intricate choreography that slaps. Yeah, that beyond like that and and revolting children, the the choreo the choreography is like crazy. It's crazy what they're doing. I saw a video. I'm trying to find the choreographer's name because I want to give them ah, Ellen Kane is the choreographer. I saw a video of her like a behind the scenes talking about uh Bruce and revolting children, and she's like, yeah, for Bruce, I knew I needed like 75 kids, and for revolting children, I needed like over 200, and I was like. How did you come up with these numbers? <laughs> and where did you find these children? Where did you find this is this is a COVID film. Where did you find these kids? I know. And well, and to boot, like you could probably go frame by frame, and every single child is going to be executing that choreography perfectly. Yeah, not only did they find like a hundred kids, they found like a hundred brilliantly talented kids. Like there's no there's no weak link in the cast here. No, and the best I've said it before on the podcast, so this is probably new information to you too, but to listeners, they probably know. I have a thing with kids in movies where I sometimes don't like them. Because <laughs> they're always oh, like, sure. they're always like, I'm a child actor. Ooh, la la, look at me. But this movie, yeah. like, goes against that. They are, I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's some, like, stage kids in this. Maybe there's some dancers, like professional dancers so that's why they feel a little more professional than like, I'm a child actor. Ooh. Yeah. And then maybe on top of that, maybe Matthew Warkus just knows how to get that out of child performers. Yeah, you, you've got to. And we talked about this last time with, with Annie from 99. You can tell when the director knows how to talk to youth performers and when they just don't know how to. Um, yeah. And that's something that that uh, Mara Wilson, who played Matilda in 96, that's something that she has now as an adult said about Danny DeVito. She's like, he somehow knew exactly how to explain his vision to all the different kids of different ages on the set. I always forget that Danny DeVito actually directed that movie Directed well. it, was in it, he like <laughs> co-wrote it. His, you know, Rhea Perlman, his now ex-wife was in it. Like, it was like a whole family affair. 
<laughs> so, with that. so the fact that they like made a musical though out of Matilda, I feel like makes sense. And the music totally. in it makes absolute sense. Like there's some there's some properties that I'm just like, why are we doing a musical version of this? Yeah, a lot of them. Well, I think that David and I, neither of us are big on like adaptations unless they're really unless they really call for it. And I think that a lot of Roald Dahl's work calls to be adapted to every medium, basically. Oh, for sure. For sure. You can make any Roald Dahl book into a movie. You could make almost any Roald Dahl book into a play and mm-hmm. slightly fewer into musicals. But like, but that, so that's such a, such an imaginative brain and such like vivid images and stories yeah. told. Yeah, we've got a bunch because, well, because, you know, Wonka was turned into a musical and James and the Giant Peach was turned into a musical, I think for a little bit at some point, right? Wasn't that a Pasek and Paul? In like the early two oh. thousands, yeah, yeah, that's somewhere in my head. Maybe I'm. Wrong. I know. Like, that, I, I know I, that there's a stage version of it somewhere in the world. I don't know if it's an actual musical, but I'll take your word on it. I think it was. Maybe I'm totally off on that. Um, but but I but I just I don't know. There's something about the worlds that he creates. The that... BFG is another one. Is that a musical? No, but it's a play. I've seen. Oh, it is a play. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, the BFG would be. A but word. just talking about worlds that Roldal yeah, yeah, creates. Yeah, yeah, and it's a. The BFG is a movie too. They adapted that yes. one like a few years that ago I, into a movie. That, oh, that fairly that must have been fairly recently. It was when yeah. I was not paying attention to modern pop culture. Yeah. I need to and, go watch that. And Leo, you are correct. James and the Giant Peach is a musical by Pesek and Paul. Uh, what year? Two thousand. Oh God. Eight. Uh, twenty ten. Actually, 2010. a year after, or the same year that this mu- this musical happened. Wait. Yes. A year before this musical like had a world premiere. Sorry, words are hard. Uh had its world premiere in twenty ten at Stratford upon Avon and then it moved to the West End in twenty eleven. And then mm-hmm. it came to New York I think in twelve, I'm seeing. Sure, yeah. Probably. Twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, somewhere around there. So mm-hmm. this God if you Find a slam tutorial of this. Just watch it. Just watch it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you will be blown away by like the set and everything. And like I, I saw it at some point in its run, um, and it just blew my mind. And I, I am so upset that it didn't win as many Tonys as it should have. I feel. I like. wonder why. I wonder why. I mean, I know that the Tonys are like so political, but but, but I, I wonder why. Because I, I, all I've heard from people who've seen this on stage is just that the craft on all ends of the creative team and the cast is just like beyond. You want to know why? Why? Kinky Boots. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. That, okay. That's yeah. yeah. Kinky Boots. It went, is, yeah. it went against Kinky Boots. But I was just like, as much as I love Cindy Lauper, I feel like Tim Minchin should have gotten best music, best uh, score. I got. I'm gonna. I'm gonna one up you. I think Cindy Lauper and and uh, Tim Minchin should write a show together. Oh my God! Yes, it'll be. Let's make this happen. I would see the crud out of that show. You, you guys have their numbers, right? You could text them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got. I, like I have them on eight. <laughs> yeah, they're they're in my. Uh, what is that? The the my my fave five. <laughs> my T-Mobile <laughs> favorite five. They're in my Firefly. Yeah. They're on your MySpace my, top eight, right? Yeah, in my <laughs> T-Mobile sidekick. That's exactly it. Um. But what what else did you guys? So you've only seen the movie and read the book probably once upon a time in childhood. Yeah, yeah, probably as, as a kiddo years and years ago. But I just I wish that I had been in the theater because I think that there's okay. Well, let me start the sentence for the fifth time here. Uh, one of the things that Tim mentioned is just a monster at is like finding melodies similar to Alan Menken, just finding melodies that. It's not like, oh, it's a catchy melody. It's like, that's never going to leave my head for the rest of my freaking life. Like, I, it just, it's never going to come out. I wish that I was in the theater to hear the horn part of the at the beginning. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, it's never going to leave. It's there forever now. I love, is it just called Quiet? Yeah. Yes. Where oh it's, my God. it's like, you're getting, you're like really in her mind. Because yeah. it's the build-up, and then it's quiet. How did they do that on stage, that song? 
I don't remember. I honestly okay. don't. That one, I there's a few of them I don't really remember. Um, like uh, the smell of rebellion. There was no obstacle course. I could tell you that. <laughs> but who? Wait, do who played um, Trunchbull on Broadway? I mean, there's been so many yeah. of them. Um, I can find out. I can tell you who originated it. It was. I'll look that up. I'm interested. Bertie Carvel. But like oh, I know yeah, Christopher, I, I know Christopher Sieber at one point played that character, because hmm. um, that was a name that I was like I remember him from like Spamalot and all this other stuff. So yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah, but the song "Quiet," I you know what? Like on the writer side of things, I'm always so worried to write a song like that, um, and, and I feel like we've always kind of tried to do something like that, and it ends up becoming slightly different. The only reason why I'm always so worried for live theater to write a show to write a song like quiet is because live theater is so unpredictable like the amount of moments like in Hades town that are so quiet or the amount of moments in like other shows where you're so locked in and then someone coughs or someone's phone goes off and it just it, it just calls for being ruined and I'm always so hesitant with that because audiences suck and I'm going to say it on the record whoa they just suck whoa and I get it. I get it that like I I I totally understand that I I'm you know speaking from a place where like I learned audience etiquette from a young age and some people don't understand that. I get it. Like that is there's a there's a there's a divide there. But man, like I always worry. I would hate to be in in the theater with a song like that that is so beautiful and so well written being performed by this kid who is probably making their Broadway debut and just I, I I would worry that it would be ruined. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, but I think that it's 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 not enough to to like try to like not do that. I know. I but it scares me. That's something that I think about all the time. No, I mean you got to just trust the people around you as an audience member to behave and to as the writers, it's our job to make sure that like the things that we can avoid with that like coughing, fidgeting, things of that, like crunkling chips and and stuff that like this the quality of the craft is so good that they're just locked in on the edge of their seat and you know if a car alarm goes off outside or an ambulance passes by that's that's show business yeah i know i get it but that song made me think of that that i'm like oh this is just so well written i don't want anybody to ever ruin this yeah and your brand new musical sand that's happening february 1st down in new orleans to start the parade of everything uh there's that trio that love song trio that captured uh, I don't remember the name of the song. I'm so sorry, there, everyone. There, no, there's a few. There's there's the one that's called Unspoken that is uh, uh, that is uh, kind of like that. And then there's there's another one that is similar to the song Quiet um, called Morning Glory, where it's just our our kiddo singing his one very quiet. Yes, song. yes. And, and that is that is the closest that we've come to writing a song like that. And I and I that song scares me. Yeah, I mean we're hedging our bets by having it a little bit early in the show rather than like all the way near the end because mm-hmm. i feel like you know playing the odds a little bit folks are more likely to stay engaged earlier in the show than towards the end oh yeah you don't want to stick the song quiet right after intermission which is kind of what they did i don't know it's like halfway through the second act yeah i guess you're right uh anyway. yeah quiet is like towards the end of the show that's yeah the... it's like the nine o'clock number <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because the 11 o'clock number is revolting children yes that song is crazy where oh my god like the fact that choreography blows my mind and like seeing people on social media especially tiktok trying to do the one hallway um yeah choreo yeah when they're all like it's very i don't know how this is going to come across the choreography in that song is very triangular I don't know how, to, but it's all very like angles, like that they're creating. Oh yeah, limbs. very triangular. It's very wow, whatever. Yeah, it's. Do you it's, know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's more Kiki than Bobo. It's so spiky. Yeah, it's Kiki. Uh, so there are two. Uh, it's Wait, a, what's Kiki so, and Bobo? There's a social science experiment where almost universally across cultures, no matter yeah. what the language is, there is one shape that is very pointy and triangular. Yeah, and there's one shape that's very like smooth and curved. And almost universally across cultures, the pointy one is called Kiki and the smooth one they would call like Bobo. It's really bizarre. Is that because of how the letters like K and I no, it's, are more it's, pointy than B and O? Well, it's, you're thinking in English. 
Like I guess you're right. It's just the sound, the shape, the pointy shape sounds Kiki, and the smoother one sounds Bobo. Oh, because when you do Bobo, your mouth is circular. Yeah, that's so, where that's where my brain went. Yeah, so Kiki. the social science experiment, uh, how Leo is describing it, is the choreography is Kiki. It, <laughs> yes, but I, but I, I anyway, it sounds too much like the word kinky, and I don't like that at all. Boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots. Yeah, yeah. No, kinky boots. Darn it, Kiki Bobo, kinky boots. Kinky full Bobo. Circle. Whoa, full circle. Here we are. Well, anyway. <laughs> don't worry i have I, I i think i could plug sam two more times before you guys plug it so let's <laughs> we'll make so many circles out of this episode um so many bobos <laughs> so many so many bobos yeah uh i don't know where else to go from this what it, <laughs> from kiki and bobo what uh is there anything you guys wanted to uh, for, yeah. for me like right off the bat so not having seen the movie in a long time or whatever like right off the bat and now realizing that i'm going to be quizzed about it i want to talk about how stylized it is yeah. so just like yeah. everything in it tells you so much about the characters and so much about the world and you know right away that you're going to live in something that is somewhat mystical or magical because everything is not normal about the moment that the movie starts and the moment you get into Matilda's house and right off the bat, like with the babies singing their thoughts, you're just like, okay, I know exactly what I'm signing up for, which is something that is going to involve children and be weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and Tim Minchin's name is like slowly becoming synonymous with oddballiness. And I love how his oddball style and Roald Dahl's world just like they click not in a way that I that I would have predicted but like they really click yeah you know? and 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 just from moment one that that opening song Miracle is so fun and just like you know if you're if it catches you drinking in the wrong moment you're gonna spit out your 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 water mm-hmm. and you're just yeah. like okay like got it and and we know who these characters are we know who Matilda's parents are and then obviously because you know what the movie's about you know how is this dynamic gonna work what you know where is she going to find her community outside of this like where does this go and then to meet the librarian uh uh such a wonderful character but then what, let's go back for a second because then after the song miracle you get the song naughty which is another freaking melody that <laughs> which which is repeated throughout as like her the whole thing yeah it's that like her little, theme in a way. That's her little motif. And I love the the rhyming that that is done in that song where you have a lot of phrases that either end in the word to or like start with the word to. So it's like, you know, you get yeah. to like the play of like the rhyme doesn't always mean the end of the sentence or the the beginning of the sentence. And, and that also then establishes all of kind of like the lyrical base later for when we get to school song and we're like playing with which syllables are stressed versus unstressed in a way that like, defies traditional scansion rules but still works and is extremely clever but she's also a kid she's also a kid so it's like she's a genius so she has this huge vocabulary but still speaks in the way that a kid would where at the end of a at the end of a line she's mid-sentence still and then she breathes and then starts the next part but in that sentence that she broke up by a breath in the way that like an eight-year-old would when they're excited yeah she's still using like her ginormous vocabulary from like the plethora of books that she's reading that's cra- it's just so well thought but out. what else is great is in a non-musical moment there's that um when she shows miss honey her telekinesis mm, yeah uh, and they're talking about it on the way to uh miss honey's house and everything um because that one kid earlier defined telekinesis or whatever he said telekinesis yeah yeah uh, saying that you have so many brains that it's going to fall out. She repeat Matilda repeats that, even though she probably knows what telekinesis is, mm-hmm. because like I feel like the dictionary is her best friend, like the yeah. the one book book quote unquote that she's read multiple times. Yeah. But when she has that moment with Miss Honey being like, "Oh, I have so many brains that it just comes out of my eyes," I was like, "Right, you're a kid. That's right." Yeah, yeah, there's there's little moments when when the kid in her shines through, you know. Yeah, like again, just the 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 the, the kidness of her is I don't think ever seen more than kind of in that scene where her parents are leaving to Spain and she gets to like be with Miss Honey, 
where yeah. that's where mm-hmm. you know the all of the smart walls come down and you just see oh this is just fundamentally like a sad child that wants to be loved she no longer has to be the mature one in the house yeah you know well here's a question for you two as songwriters as well so tim mentioned obviously an adult writing for kids you two wrote a song for a child um did you have to like get into their mind for san everyone by the way i mean for san you know i said it plug it more did you have to like get into that 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 childlike mindset to think about or what did you guys do because obviously like we could we could only guess what tim mentioned did but for san Um, what did you do so well there's kind of a there's there's a little bit of a difference tim's job was to write music for a child that was created by an author. Whereas our job with San is to write music for a child that we knew as a real human in his nineties. So because we knew San, who was our friend. And so we understand his speech patterns. We understand how he was as a kid from his own mouth. And that kind of allows us to get into that noggin a little bit easier. We have something to refer to um okay you know we have we have an idea of 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 how he was exactly down to the detail as a kid according to himself which allows us to kind of get to the heart of things i think a little bit easier yeah and then it's just a matter of of deciding language and deciding phrases and deciding that like okay because this is this person that we know but him as a kid we have to simplify things a little bit sentences have to be a little bit shorter the thoughts aren't necessarily as complete or concise and even he doesn't necessarily know where things are going um so like that side of it is part of it too but you know i think it's honestly i think harder to write like genius level children like matilda than like less at least like linguistically genius. I mean, San was an artistic genius, yeah. but certainly not like linguistically a genius. But we were in a conversation the other day <clears throat> with a pro- another project that we're working on where we are writing music for uh, characters who are children. We'll leave it at that. Um, and and one of the comments that was brought up in, in like a feedback session was, I don't really know if, you know, if a sixth grader would feel that. Or if a sixth grader would express their feelings or the emotions oh. in the way that we had written it, um, and and I, I've been I teach music only a little bit now, but but I've been teaching for a while, um, and and in my almost ten years of teaching, you know I, I I I have taught every age of kiddo from kindergarten to uh, graduating high school, and and not to say that I know what every child is thinking at all times, but. You have a strong, I have, strong I have, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have experienced conversations with fifth, sixth, seventh graders that were similar to the feelings that we were writing in the way that we were writing them in this particular tune. And I and I kind of started a, a little bit of like a beef in my head. I yeah. was like, I, no, I could name you five kids and five is enough for me to say that like, yeah, these five have felt this and have expressed it this way to me. And therefore it's... It's at least accurate to those five, you know? Yeah, the other interesting thing about, you know, approaching writing for child performers or writing characters that are children is, like, the variance in brain development, even across, like, 11-year-olds, yes. for example, mm-hmm. um, is 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 wide. And, and, you know, that is part of what makes this movie and the characters in this movie also, I think, successful, is they they do portray this wide variance of characters from bruce to matilda to uh the the telekinetic boy whose character name i don't remember i don't know but that kid is so funny <laughs> riding the motorcycle i was like you go man go to, the, for it. to the girl with the pigtails to the other new student like and yes. everyone and and the the child that is like staring at the board hat short circuiting because he's like math what was his name Ni- uh, nigel? nigel yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's totally a nigel there's no way well the weird thing about this movie is that lavender who is the other new student at some points it feels like she's always been at the school because mm. she's the one who's like matilda you're starting a revolution and i'm like you also just started here so how did you yeah. how do you know all this information i did catch that too there were a cu- there were a couple of moments where i was like oh did they just give that line to the uh, the wrong character like I, why does she know these things like, yeah. yeah 
but I also I love speaking of all the all the the students I love the message of like power in numbers that's so cool like when when yes. when the when Nigel is it Nigel that's underneath the when he's when they're like oh he's been sleeping for hours yes. I think that was that was Nigel yeah and, and she's like oh Nigel's underneath the thing and he's been there for an hour right everyone and like 200 kids are like yes <laughs> you know <laughs> it's that power in numbersness that is so fun it's so great which then comes back again later when they're all misspelling words on purpose understanding yes. the power in numbers and you know it's it's very you know marxist <laughs> yeah. where i'm waiting for a future protest to actually use revolting children as like their protest song <laughs> like with the act when the actor strike happened happened i was like you guys missed the opportunity i don't know if actors, i don't know if actors would want to re- be referred to as children though <laughs> Well, get the child actors in on it. Ah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah. No, I mean, every actor deep down has that that child within them because what they're doing is a very adult version of make-believe. Yeah, I don't think that... I've never heard... I've never heard of an adult who decided to become an actor and had never done it before. Like, it's always something that has been in you since you're a kid. You yeah, know? for sure. Right, but then you always get that... You have to get that first job, which I think that's what a lot of these kids... And a lot of other child actors, like, usually they it's their first job, mm. like, mm. real job. Because, you know, when they probably do, like, the school plays or community yeah. theaters. I feel like these kids, though, are, like, eight. So, or they, yeah. they can't be that old, in or, other words. Know, looking 12 or something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, where this has to be their first gig. Yeah, that's so fun. Yeah, eight, that must have been a fun set. I know, or or a chaotic one. That too, probably both. Yeah, Spe- especially in the, with the ending, like that must have been a fun day or yeah. fun couple of days of filming where where it's like an amusement park at the school. Yeah, like that was oh yeah. I <laughs> I, I, I also wonder how much I, I should do like some behind the scenes documentary get, watching. Get that DVD disc two out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> with my portable DVD player. Um, I, I wonder, I wonder how much was green screen and how much was like practical effects and how much was actually physical sets. Like, I, I wonder exactly how much each of them. Oh yeah. Well, and that's, that's the interesting thing about this is like, this has the same feeling of the Johnny Depp, Charlie and the chocolate factory movie where it's got Mm. that whimsical. Yes. It's also Royal doll, but they, I feel like I feel like with some uh some of his movie like adaptations ever, the the creative team is just like we need a look and somehow they all agreed on a look to it like there was some moments where especially like when Bruce burped and there was that bubble that flew over I was like this is like this is something I feel like was in the witches this is um oh yes yeah You're right this is uh, like de- this is definitely in uh willy wonka and the chocolate factory or charlie in the chocolate factory and like mr wormwood did look like an oompa loompa to me he did with the oh, hair he did you're right absolutely i was gonna mention that earlier yeah, and then i forgot to there's like there's crossover with ideas yeah but that's so funny that you brought up witches that would be an interesting musical you could probably just it wasn't wasn't the movie wasn't Angelica Houston in the movie? She was in the original movie, and then in the remake, it was Anne Hathaway, who oh, alleged who remake? allegedly was yeah uh, like twenty twenty, and then Anne Hathaway was supposed to be Trunchbull in this, but because of COVID and travel restrictions, which might be for the best. <laughs> yeah, that I don't know how she would have done in that role. She probably would have played it just differently. Yeah, yeah. Because at least with Emma Thompson, she does have a lower timber timbre to her voice. Yeah, yeah. So like, she can sound a little more masculine, which is what I think the Trunchbull character is. Yeah, just a field af- athlete. You know, I just, just like just very strong, yeah. very strong, like and grounded, and 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 someone that you know throws hammer. Like I Anne Hathaway, feel... I think is much more likely to throw javelin than hammer. I think. <laughs> Or just, or be a runner or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah I I don't, can't picture. I just I also picture that role not as young as Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway's young. Is she? Well, I mean, 
she's probably early 40s, right? Well, I, I understand what you're saying. Like Emma Thompson is probably at least 10 years older than yeah. Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Yeah, we'll say that. <laughs> but that. the other the other thing too about Trudgebull is that so in the movie and I think in every other property of this story, she doesn't like to be told no. But I would assume being called a cheater is something that would piss her off even more. Mm. Oh, for sure. Given given her set of morals. Yeah. Right. So like when Matilda calls her a cheater in the in the after the after uh the smell of rebellion, I was like wouldn't you like throw things because she's be like, I'm not a cheater or something like that. Like what's going on here guys. <laughs> it's also me just nitpicking a little bit. Cause I was just like, this movie is great. I, I am happy that this newer generation has a Matilda. Cause like our Matilda is a little sacred to a lot of people, but yeah. it's not for everyone. It is a little dated. And so now we have this version, which I personally enjoyed. I mean, I, I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's definitely fantastic. I really have no, I have like no criticism really. No, like nothing crazy. Of course, you could sit and nitpick whatever, but like it's, I really enjoyed it, and I really don't enjoy most things, and I really enjoyed it. Right? Did yeah. you? No, I did too. Yeah. I, I you know I think that the whole thing is very smart, and it's designed for the audience to also feel smart in a way, like kind of specifically the reveal moment um right at the house of 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 miss honey where it's like oh this is the story that she's been telling all along like the movie is written in such a way that it allows the audience to figure that out like two minutes before everyone else does i mean with casting you would have figured it out beforehand yes (laughs) way beforehand (laughs) of course absolutely but i'm just talking about the writing alone Yes. Yeah. Where you're like, you know, I'm in this house. I have a stepmother that kicked me out, yada, yada, yada. And then you're like, oh, something is about to be revealed here. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember the book, as I said. So I don't know if like that whole escapologist and uh, the basically the Matilda telling the story of Miss Honey's parents. I don't think I think that is original for the show. Uh, I, don't, yeah, I don't remember that from the book. and I don't remember that from the 96 movie. It wasn't that was definitely not in the 96 yeah. movie. So, and I'm not sure if, like, what's that character's name? Mrs. Phelps, the librarian, like, while listening to the story, if she thinks that Matilda is potentially, like, telling her about her abusive family. Because I I think that's how we're supposed to feel about it. Definitely at the beginning. Definitely at the outset. Well, and especially when... Uh, towards the end, really, when Matilda's on on the fl- in the movie, I should say, when she's on the floor and she's finishing the story to herself, mm. I think that's when we're supposed to be like, "Oh, this is about her?" Question mark. But like then we realize, no, it's Miss Honey. Well, I think that she's just yeah. So she's finishing the story in the way that yes, it is about her. But then we realize that it's about Miss Honey. And I think that there's another realization that happens after, which is, oh, they're they're kind of the same. You know, yeah. they both, yeah, they, they are two folks who feel like they had abandonment as childhood, which is why you, as, which is why you, as the audience, then feels good with the situation at the end that you trust that Matilda is in the right place for herself. Like she will be taken care of, she will be safe because she is with someone that not just loves her but also understands her. Oh yeah, and and believes in her and wants to continue her progress alongside her and like. Yeah, I mean, Miss Honey is is fantastic, and and Lashana Lynch I'd only known from from Marvel stuff. Yeah, and so this was kind of cool. It's nice to see her branch out because, like, I know that they hired a few other uh, theater people, like Matt Henry, who played the Doctor in the beginning. Oh, he was a, great. Oh, yeah, is a theater person. I feel like everyone who has like bit parts like that is from theater. So they were in good hands. <laughs> yeah, and, and they weren't, unfortunately, as recognizable to me as I... Maybe they're all, like, British theater people. For some reason, yes. I didn't really recognize a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, really, Emma Thompson's the only one that's, like, the named person. I mean, people yeah. do know Lashana Lynch, but, like, it's not Dame Emma Thompson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So they, I feel like this movie took a little bit of a gamble... I mean, not only filming it during COVID, filming a musical movie during COVID where they have 200 plus kids 
and as and as a lot of people know kids are carriers for diseases so <laughs> that is what they we like, call them right yeah, yeah only only in public though <laughs> oh especially in schools which hello <laughs> yes no absolutely yeah i i uh yeah the only other so did this come out basically at the same time as um tick tick boom were they like Tick Tick Boom, I think, came out a little bit before this. A little bit before this. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think Tick Tick Boom was like late 21, and this was 22. Who's our fact checker? Can we check this? I'm doing it right now, everyone. So this came out 2022. This came out on Christmas in 2022. This did? Christmas Christmas Day, yeah. Because that was a big selling... I remember that was like a big selling point for it, being like, hey, we can't go to the movie theaters, so... Netflix um, is going to release this and you all are going to watch it. Um, uh, uh, Tick, Tick, Boom was 2021. Yeah, late 21. Oh, okay. Right so before they, Thanksgiving, because I remember watching that with mm-hmm. my family on Thanksgiving to be like, see, mom, this is what I'm doing. I'm and, not going to have a show up. I'm in this stage. I'm in this stage. And but 20, it, but it, and, that was that was one where, where like there were so many faces that I'm like, oh, that's this. Oh, that's that person. Oh, that's this person. Oh, that's that but this, but Matilda, I didn't catch that. But yes, they are all British stars. That's why I, I didn't get them. Yeah, which I mean, hey, it exposes us the Americans to these people. Um, totally. Hopefully, then now they'll get cast and stuff over here. Uh, but is there anything else y'all want to talk about before we get into Sharp and Flat? Uh, let's get into that. Let's jump into that. Okay, let's do it. Sharp Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. I did have a flat for this, and it's only one. Did you guys have any flats before I reveal mine? I, it, it, it's it's not, I mean, it is a flat. It's almost a natural, but it is a flat. <gasps> okay, what? So I just didn't understand the point of her father at the end kind of finally calling her her daughter or his daughter. Oh yeah. And like I don't I don't know what what that meant or like what he was trying to do with that or like why the guard why his personality changed and I just it didn't make sense to me so close to the end for for her to now be like did you call me your your daughter like to add that level of like sentimentality there. I that- was worried the first time that 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 Matilda would then be like Maybe they do love me and then go with them. And I'm like, they better not have changed the ending for this. That might be something from the 90s movie. Where there is a similar moment with... um, (laughs) I remember this so well. At the end of the 90s Matilda movie, Matilda brings out adoption forms so Miss Honey Mm -hmm. can adopt her. And so there is a moment with Danny DeVito, or at least with Rhea Perlman, it's like, are you sure you want us to do this to sign you over to somebody? So there is like, I think there is supposed to be a moment of like, okay, you guys see, you guys finally see me, but now I got to go on. I can't, I can't yeah. be with you. You are abusive to me. Yeah, that so, moment was the same, but, it, but you're right. It was the calling her daughter, like his daughter for it, the first time. And it made up for it almost immediately with his like perfect reaction of her saying this with just like, yep, all right. And I'm just like, yep, all right, we're back, we're back. Yeah, that was yeah. the perfect way to get past that. But it was just, there was a weird little hurdle that I didn't know needed to be there. I'm going to call it a flat, but it's like basically a natural. Okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know, it, it's like it's like C flat. I don't know if I, <laughs> if I have any flats here. I mean, my, not that it was perfect, but it was, you know, because nothing is. But My flat is, okay. It's gonna sound. Let me, let me explain this. I have to explain this one. My flat is not casting an overweight kid to play Bruce. Um, the padding in that was a little like I get it. That's what they did on stage because, I mean, I don't know if you guys heard the stories about like what Tracy Turnblad, like any of those actresses, had to like keep the weight on and you know dance their faces off and everything. And so yeah, I guess I haven't heard anything about that, but I would. I, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. So there's it's, it's a similar thing where you're like you have a kid who's doing a show four times a week. I know the I know that the show the stage version was like double cast because children, um, mm-hmm. and there were four Matildas at uh, 
that were cast at, at any point. But yeah, I, I'm like, it's this is a movie. We can get away with things. Like, I get uh, uh, there's also a lot of backlash about casting Emma Thompson because you can find a larger woman to play that part and not be padded and makeuped. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to focus more on Bruce because Bruce's whole thing is being the overweight kid. So like as somebody who was an overweight kid, give us some representation. Yeah. Why, so why do you think that they chose that kid and then padded him up? Is it, is it just because that's what they did on stage and then they wanted it to, I had, I have no idea. It might be, he looks goofy. Like he doesn't look like an overweight kid. He just looks like yeah. a kid. Who's well, at, at the end too, he's not wearing the fat suit. When when they're at the carnival happy school time moment during the um, I, I, still yeah, holding I mean, I, my I, hand. Honestly, I didn't catch that he ever was like supposed to be overweight, like because of all of that. And so like it makes sense now, given like the behavior of that child, that like. But, like, because of how it was executed, it never even crossed my mind that that's, like, how that specific version is supposed to be portrayed. Yeah. Yeah, that, you're right. That is, it was strange. It was weird. And I was like, okay. I mean, he eats a whole fucking cake. Yeah. <laughs> Which I also feel bad for that actor. Because during, like, we we complimented the sharp choreography, the kiki choreography and everything. And yes. uh, if any of the dancers behind him fucked up like he still has to eat all that cake <laughs> like filming that scene must have been hard for it must him. have been great for about like 20 minutes though <laughs> oh yeah I mean, that first take you know he's like fuck yeah let's eat chocolate cake and then t- eight hours later he's still eating cake he's like somebody kill me <laughs> <laughs> and they did that on purpose so that he could get to you know the final the final crumbs with that he doesn't have to act. He's just miserable <laughs> on purpose. Somebody get me out of this suit. So they so they went method with him. Okay. I think yeah. so. I think <laughs> so. Um, all right. Sharps, who wants to go first? Uh Sharps. Oh man. I, the whole thing. God, it was so good. I, I I there's something about there's something about this score that is just so special. And it's not Tim mentioned does a really good job of not going overboard which is great he he has big ideas and Mm -hmm. runs with them and is and is wonderful at um executing simplicity in a well thought out way you know none of this music i I feel like every time we're talking about um so the sharp here is as tim mentioned i don't know if that was what i was trying to say oh thank you thank um, you uh, i I feel like all the time i when when people are talking about sondheim or other folks similar um there's a group of people who understand how brilliant that music is and then there's everybody else who like you need to explain to them how brilliant the music is sometimes none of this music needs explaining like it's it is it is all very accessible but also extremely well thought out, you know, just so well thought out. Uh, David. Um, I, my sharp is something that we did converse about a little bit briefly at the, the, the top of this episode, but it's something that I want to call back to because I did audibly out loud, say this several times as I was watching the movie recently, um, is that just like the kids acted well. Um, and, it was never distracting. It was never like, oh, this is a kid performer overacting. Like Matilda was fantastic and all of the other children also were fantastic. And shout out to all of them for never once making me need to suspend disbelief mm-hmm. and be like, oh, that's a kid acting rather than a kid. Yeah, it, it almost feels like uh, there was, it almost feels like none of them have ever been like trained, trained, even though they were all so polished that like, obviously they were trained and it also didn't feel like any of them learned their lines, even though all of them obviously learned their lines. Like, it feels like, it feels like they went through the process of like, they just made up a line and just fed it to the kid and the kid just set it back. Like it was so conversational. I'm looking up our Matilda, Alicia Weir. Yeah, and awesome. I mean, there was a few things she's done before this, um, but I don't think 
she was really like the lead of it. I think yeah. this is like I don't oh I don't know this movie. Don't Leave Home was a is her first movie that she's d- did in 2018. It's a Shutter film. Have so you seen, have you seen the video of 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 this kid finding out that she got the role of Matilda in the movie? No. Oh, it's it's a great little video. Does she, she cry? She just loses it. Yeah, it's really it's really sweet. But I mean, you've got to think like that is that's got to like blow your mind when something like that happens as a kid. Oh my god! I mean, for anything like I I remember the video of Nikki Blonsky totally getting cast in Hairspray, and she was at work at Coldstone Creamery. Totally, like, I remember that too. Yeah. Um. So for me, my sharps. Uh, I agree with both of you. Uh, I have others. I, I'm sharpening how how we talked about this, how the movie captured the essence of Rola Doll. Like, I mean, yeah, they, there's the CGI and everything, but like, there was still like whimsy and it was okay. Like, it wasn't hmm. like, I feel like sometimes CGI is trying so hard to look realistic, but in this one, they're like, fuck it. It's a burp. <laughs> we're going to make this magical, this colorful so bubble. Um, there, so in the song Miracle, in the opening, there's this line, punch you in the face. And I'm sharpening the fact that they somehow got that baby to punch the other two babies in the oh, yes, thing you're with right. it. You're totally right. Wait, go back to the burp for a second. You know what is so funny? Is that like, just in case we didn't know that it was a chocolate burp. Just in case. Even though he had just eaten a chocolate cake and then burped and it was brown. Just in case we didn't know, there's that little old man out to the side who goes, chocolate. That is perfect. <laughs> Imme- immediately perfect. after Emma Thompson, just like going like, bizarre acting choice that worked. It's so weird. I also want to shout Alicia Weir, Lashana Lynch, and Sindhu V. Sindhu V is the librarian. Yes, um, yes, totally. And goes without saying, but I think all three of us are going to sharp Emma Thompson. For sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And yeah. then there's just the performances. I mean, I wrote specific ones, but really all of them. I I don't remember, I think it was Leah who said it. Like, there's no, like, lull. There's no, like, oh, this is clearly y'all were phoning it in. Like, all of them were showing up and they did it oh yeah i love the there's the tune that is the um there's that little moment where it's the uh the duet between matilda when she's like in bed and the escapologist mm-hmm. i'm talking about there's that little duet moment uh what is it? i'm here oh i'm here oh like just so it's good so that guy just comes out of nowhere and it's just like bada boom here i am it's it's really just fantastic so I want to play a little game at the end of this episode here. I should have done this earlier. Which song do you think was written for the movie? Wait, what? What do you mean? Which song do you think was written specifically for the movie? It was oh, not part of the stage the Broadway show. Yeah. Oh, it may have been the one that I just said, actually. I'm here. But one second. Let me, let me think about this. I'm looking at the list right now. <laughs> Look, obviously couldn't be school song because we've talked Correct. about that one being on stage. No, and Naughty, uh, no, because that's the I Want song. Correct. The I Am song or whatever. Um, the Hammer. No. No. The Smell of Rebellion. The Jokey Chant. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> We're just listing all the songs. Um, all right. I, okay, I think that it was, I think it's the one that I just said. I'm here. Or Miss Honey's song, My House. You're wrong. It's Thank still you. holding my hand. Okay. The little, the little last one. The last oh, one. Oh, the four chordy at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Where I was watching, I, I do remember the first time watching it. I didn't like it as much, but now rewatching it, I was like, no, it does, it does fit in. Obviously, it tricked two composers into thinking it was part of the stage version. Well, it was probably still written by Tim Minchin. Like it's. Not oh like, no, it, it was. Yeah. yeah, he was. He was hired to come back to, like, there was some. Uh, verse changes here and there, some magic, yeah. some editing around. Some, some miracle is like a longer song sure. that uh, involves everyone, but they had to make some cuts here and there to it. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, no, I, it didn't. It didn't feel like uh, you know, like in all the 
like the Beauty and the Beast remake or like the the Little Mermaid remake when they're oh. like Let's have Alan Menken come back 30 years later and write a new song in the style of Alan Menken and it doesn't sound like Alan Menken wrote it it sounds like Alan Menken wrote it in the style of Alan Menken all of them and it's like come on come on Especially the Little Mermaid remake where they're like, okay, Lin-Manuel Miranda, let's have you write in the style of Alan Menken. Let's have you you write in the style of Alan Menken, writing in the style of Lin-Manuel Miranda. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist? Yeah, I love the song Quiet. I think it's so well done. And and, yeah, that's it. I was going to say when I grew up, but actually I'm not. Wouldn't add that, sorry. Yeah, I, I'm. I don't think so. I, I you know, not, I mean, none of them personally are the ones that I would tack on to to my life's playlist. But at the same time, uh, I really enjoyed all of them. I yeah, think. yeah. My life's playlist is not uh, musical theatery. It's or uh, it's very melancholy. Like any any. Not that my life is melancholy, but my life playlist is melancholy and so quiet. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Sounds about right. Yeah. Checks checks out. Yeah, I, don't, um, I, don't, I like sad songs. I mean, I do listen to this album a lot, but really, if I'm being honest, I think only Revolting Children. Because there's oh. just something about that. It's such a great protest song. What's the vibe of your life playlist, John? Oh, erratic. It's all over the place. All right, especially, I like it. Especially answering this question every episode, I'm just like, oh, we're going big band number to the one that I'm going to cry my eyes out in five seconds. So... It's very emotional. How's that? It's a roller coaster. That's great. And on that note, gentlemen, we're done with the episode. We did it. We oh, did Matilda. Okay. They didn't take us to the chokey. No chokey. And I didn't I didn't have time to make you specific chokies. Sorry. Um, I should have. I'm a bad that host, I know. Yeah, that, that got me. I was like, whoa, plot crazy. twist. She felt you know, they they the, the Yu-Gi-Oh phrase, they they triggered her trap card. <laughs> I'm glad I got that. And yeah. maybe some people. Some, some of your listeners, I'm sure, will get that too. <laughs> yeah, yep. Hopefully. Some of them um, are like me, like, nope, didn't work. <laughs> uh, what do you have to plug or promote? I hope you're going to plug San because. Oh, we actually, did it actually, we. <laughs> yeah, no, we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah Take we, it away, Leo. Yeah, we're working on this awesome musical. It's a Mardi Gras musical uh, about the true life story of esteemed Mardi Gras designer, San Nicholas, uh, who was our friend for, for a little, pi- little, little pile, a little while. <laughs> what am I saying? Um, so, so we wrote this musical. It is called San About San. Um, and we next will be presenting it on February 1st in the French Quarter of New Orleans at Le Petit Theater. Uh, we're going to be doing a big old concert of 90 minutes of the music and, and story with an awesome cast and a band um, to open up a, uh, a museum exhibit that will run for two years at the Louisiana State Museum, celebrating 100 years of San with all of his designs and sketches. So if you can make it down to New Orleans, or if you're already down there, come to Le Petit Theater on February 1st to celebrate Mardi Gras and San Nicholas with us. And if you cannot make that concert, but still want to learn more about the project, visit the Presbyter in the French Quarter or check us out on social media. Woo! Uh, at Gauze and Photos. That's yeah, up. I saw the you guys did the fifty four below um, presentation of it, right? Presentation yeah. is that what we're going? Yeah, let's go with that. I'm cool. With yeah, that. where I hope you don't change anything, but I know you guys writers change things here and there. So I, it was, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm really looking forward to an actual seeing an actual stage production of it. So let me know when that happens. Oh, well, sure. so are we? Do you have mm-hmm. like Do you have like thirty million dollars, John? No, this is a free podcast. <laughs> I I'm in I spend a lot of money on this podcast and I don't think people realize that. So <laughs> I don't have 30 million dollars unfortunately, but maybe somebody out there does. Well, that makes uh, me. So, go on to uh uh, what's the is there like a website or something that they could buy tickets or do you have a link uh, somewhere not yet but uh on our website www.gauzeandphotos.com there will be something at some point yes www.gauzeandphotos.com there will eventually be a ticket link if there isn't one already yeah i don't know when this is coming out so you know yeah january oh okay great mid-january so hopefully by then 
Yeah. By then, you know, totally. Yeah. Uh, And if you, I don't know, if you were in a production of Matilda, I'd love to hear about it. I mean, there's, it ran for what, like a few, like five years on Broadway or something like that. that. Right. Yeah, that sounds right. And if you were one of like the dozens of Matildas, let me know. I'd love to hear about it. You can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at buttersongpod. Um, and if you go see Gauze and Photos, just tell them you heard from them from this podcast, because I'd love to spread the word and everything. And if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, well, we'll be covering live from Lincoln Center, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, in concert with the New York Philharmonic. That is the whole title of that stupid episode. And it deserves even more words. Oh, and it's an Emma Thompson movie-related thing. I did a thing! Hey! (laughs) I made it smart. Was that the one where she was in it with... Who is the Sweeney? Not Bryn Terfel. Yeah, it was. Was it? Oh. And and Audra McDonald... And Audra is the beggar woman. The beggar woman, yes. Oh my gosh, it's fantastic. Have you seen it? You're gonna, you're gonna lose it. I will lose it. It's so good. Well, guys and photos, thank you so much. I, I, I get. I, I'm sorry. I know you have first names, but that's how I know you because you're guys and photos and you write musicals. That okay. we do. And you're John and John. You're I'm John. John. I'm John. Uh, thank you so much for coming back on. I really had fun chatting with you guys. Let's nerd out more with music in the future when you're not busy i mean but it sounds like you're going to be busy because sand's going to blow up I, no, I we'll, like. we'll be recurring guests it'll be fun yeah yes we'll keep and... our eye out for other uh stories about children that get adopted yeah <laughs> jeez <laughs> <laughs> oh my god thank you everyone for listening and bye for now bye-bye Special thanks to Aaron Troy for creating the pod's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles. A huge thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. And thank you again for tuning in to today's episode of Life's But a Song. Bye for now, everyone, and have a musical day.